Today, we're fortunate to have the CEO of Alivi, Ricky Soloazano. I hope I'm saying that name right, uh, to have a couple minutes with us to interview. And thanks so much, Ricky, for uh, taking a couple minutes out of your busy days uh, to talk to us. Um, I just received your written interview today, and, and you know, I think it's, it's much better to have a kind of in-person conversation to bring the audience closer to our speakers for the conference that's coming up in a couple of days, really. Um, but Alivi has been really around for uh, many years, and it's probably one of the, um, I would say, cornerstone of bioprinting industry. Do you want to just, uh, you know, share with us what the early journey of founding Alivi, what got you into this bioprinting business? Yeah, so, um, well, Jenny, it's always, it's always great to uh, be associated with 3D Heels. It's an awesome community. We're huge fans, and um, we love the brand and, and kind of the stories that, it's, that it shares. So a little bit about uh, back in the early days of Alevi. I mean, at the time, uh, really desktop uh, printing, desktop 3D printing was coming to more mainstream, more of age. You know, I think 3D printing had been around now for some years, especially with bigger companies like Stratasys and 3D Systems. But these kind of smaller, powerful, uh, easy to use devices were, were becoming more popular with companies like Form Labs, MakerBot, um, Mark Forged, um, and so you know they were doing really well, <laughs> and um, you know noticing that wave that was happening, no one was really riding it for for bioprinting, and and so we we had some grounding within the RepRap community, um, and so we applied you know, building desktop bioprinters to to bioprinting, which. Um, is really what set us set it off, I think, and, and set off being able to provide scientists the access that they weren't able to afford as usually there were only really kind of more expensive and larger based units on the market at the time. So it was it was a combination of all that together that I think was was really what set off the spark and and uh, and began the trajectory of, of where we've been able to to get to today. Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting conversation we're having because, you know, I'm from the healthcare side and you're from the scientific community side. And, and really, bioprinting only got into my uh, radar. It's only the last couple of years. So the riprap movement that you were talking about and, you know, whatever Jordan Miller was working on and a bunch of other scientists, I didn't know about it at all, right? Those are the times when I'm in actually my medical training as a doctor. And that didn't really, I didn't know until now I suddenly felt like I'm crossing our path. And so I think that part of the history, I mean, if you don't mind, do you mind of just talking a little bit about uh, RIPRAP and what year was that and how did you got into that? Yeah, so that was around, uh, I think RIPRAP, I, I can't date back to when it started, but I was kind of joining it or understanding it back in 2013, 2014. And it was really just this idea that you could make 3D printers by printing them out of other 3D printers. And so they would replicate themselves. And that's the word rep in, in the word rep wrap. Um, 
but it was very much a, a, a maker community. It was uh, the maker movement uh, really that was driving all of the ideas. And, and it was really at the heart of it was um, placing the information online so others could learn about it and learn how to build their own printers and learn how to, you know, it was kind of a, a from the, the ground roots movement of, of making 3D printers themselves. And so, um, I got involved. I, I, so Jordan, I used to work out of a, a lab at the University of Pennsylvania, Dr. Christopher Chen's lab. It was a great lab. It was fantastic. It was like 50 people. We would come together every week. We would just talk about patterning cells and tissue engineering and what it meant to try and think about making tissues. And so it was really awesome. And Dr. Jordan Miller was also part of that lab at the time as a postdoc. Yeah, I'm and, so surprised with your actually that you guys <laughs> crossed paths. So yeah, I mean it's it's kind of a it was an interesting uh, world and how it's expanded since then. But um, yeah, he he had built his own 3D uh, printer and he was using it in the lab to print out sugar uh, to print out sugar in in the form of uh, sugar glass, which was great work. And he published that in Nature, and I think that really set off his career. Um, and so I was fascinated though. It was awesome. I mean, being able to see kind of this, it was like a it, it, it bare bones, wires everywhere. It was kind of crazy, but uh, it still had this you know, sense of creativity. You could design something on the computer, you could get it out. And he was applying it to uh, ideas in, in biology and tissue engineering and, and blood vessel creation. And so um so I asked, you know, I, I, there was a bunch of broken 3D printers around the lab. And so I was asking him, oh, you know, can I, can I buy one of these? Because <laughs> I figured it couldn't be too expensive. He's like, oh, you know, you should come down to the maker shop downtown. It's called Hive 76. And, uh, you know, I, I can show you how to, you know, put some together and things like that. And so that's, he, um, he helped introduce me to the RepRap community there. And I think um, it was a uh, Hive 76, that makerspace, it was like, a bunch of unique minds coming together in a sense of revolution, you know, like we're bringing the power yeah. of, of, uh, of being able to build things ourselves and they would build all kinds of things. I mean, uh, there were like stereo systems with a TV in the middle, you name it, they, they would hack it together. They were just hackers. And so this hacking community was, was really awesome. And, and a sense of, um, you know, a sense of creating things for, the fact that it's awesome to create, you know, and that that's really what yeah. it was. So, yeah, it's interesting to hear that how you look at creativity and what you know that is part of the inspiration for you to to go on this path. Um, I, I actually personally do believe that creativity and human survival these are two innate instincts that we have. It's the the need to create, and now that you have this powerful tool. Um, but you basically were trained as a biologist in a way, right? So tissue engineering, I guess, biomedical engineering. I don't know how to categorize, but tissue engineering. So you suddenly discovered this amazing tool. Um, and how did that transition into forming a company in a dorm, in a dorm room? So I think, um, well, there's this really awesome movie that, that I saw way back when it's called Something Ventured and it speaks about... Yeah, like, I, yeah, I watched that. It's a great movie. It speaks about how, uh, you know, individuals were able to take engineering endeavors and create them into you know, successful value through, the, through companies. And so um, 
uh, at the time I was, you know, I had graduated college and we were doing, I was taking a gap year and um, we had, uh, so then I, we had had this, this plastic 3d printer and, and we saw this opportunity that, Hey, you know, maybe some people would be interested in, in printing biomaterials, printing just, um, just gels. And so mm-hmm. uh, one thing led to another, there was a, there was a competition that was around and we entered the competition and, um, and then they said, you know, why don't you try selling this? And so all of a sudden, you know, this tinkering that we were doing in our, in, in the dorm room or in the room really, um, became all of a sudden an idea of, well, you know, we just made this device and let's see if we can sell it. And so and we sold one, we sold, uh, and, and it was exciting. I mean, it was like, oh my gosh, you know, which is a, a whole yeah. different story, but because engineer, as an engineer, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to, you know, sell something. But we sold one and then we built another one. We sold another one. And then um, in, in tandem with what the movie has, you know, they asked for investors. And so we understood that if we wanted to continue to grow this at a ra- faster pace, we we're going to have to get investors and form it into a business and make something more sophisticated out of it. But, um, you know, that's really what's provided the you know, this this structure of the business is what provides the value to the entire community today. And I mean, the team that we have is also incredible. So, yes, I can feel it. So, <laughs> so tell us where is a le- uh, a levy? I guess that's the right way to pronounce yeah, that's it. Great say it. I mean, yeah, I think it goes back and forth. Um, but uh, we add the accent on it, and for whatever reason, we say a levy, even though it comes from alleviate. But right, exactly, alleviation. <laughs> <laughs> but a levy sounds French. Okay. I guess that's more <laughs> sexy. Um, so tell us where the company is at right now and what are your goals for the near term and longer term? I think the, the, well, the company has a, an amazing team today. And, you know, I think um, a lot of people, you know, ask, oh, you know, how's the, what was the founding story? But honestly, the team that we have has been able to take the, the product and, and the reach to such a greater height and, and such a great group of people. Um, and collectively speaking, I think the, the goal is really to continue to mature the technology and, and really just, you know, that adoption curve. And so we want to climb the, the adoption curve in terms of having an impact. And we realize that to do that, we have to continue to create standards and reach populations that are larger in number so when we started off with the engineers and so um and even even before and the material scientists you know they're the smallest population but the earliest thinkers and the tissue engineers we've come to do well in serving them and now we want to serve the biologists and the and the individuals involved in drug discovery and we realize that it's important to do that because that's how we can have that impact. We can make that contribution, but it requires standards and it requires a sense of, um, you know, plug and play almost is, is always the word we've, we've come. And that word in its, in, in, is, is also evolving in terms of what plug and play means for bioprinting, but being able to apply more standards, um, allow people to access the value uh, in a faster way is really Uh, as a team, what we're collectively working on, and then education, which is really, you know, half, half the battle is sales, but half the battle is education, being able to show this is what, this is what the value is. This is why it's valuable to you and why you should use it today. And so that combination of, uh, uh, is really what we're focused on maturing the technology to biologists and drug discovery. 
Yeah, I think the understanding of bioprinting in general, biofabrication by the public is still very rudimentary. So education is definitely huge. I mean, that's part of the reason that we're doing this conference is to bring our understanding deeper. But you also mentioned a really interesting element is, is this is a multidisciplinary approach. It's not just one you know, profession like biologists versus material scientists can achieve alone. This is something that you really need to learn how to bring these people usually have nothing to do with one another and now together in one single team. And that's definitely a challenge. And you also mentioned that the latest advance in, uh, with Alevi is uh, software development, which is interesting point because I can feel that this year in the last 12 months or so, there is a, you know, I can, I can palpate that there is a movement in the software side for biofabrication and bioprinting. Um, you want to you want to elaborate why that's important yeah. to you guys? I, you know, and and I, th so my thoughts it's it's a collectiveness of the interdisciplinary aspects of um, the engineering that make the experience to be able to get to a three D tissue. And so you have the, the the printer, you have the software, and you have the materials. Software in general has um, seen a lot of. I'd say innovation and activity because of the idea that, you know, it's, it's uh, growing towards a workflow or growing towards being able to achieve greater design complexity, but without that much, much complexity from the software. So the software yeah. has become easier, but you could do more with it. And so yeah. being able to, that, that's going to be a continuous trajectory because it's, um, it's almost like a computer, right? So instead of people having to write the code, they can now you know, click on an icon and it does things. And so yeah. it's that same idea in terms of design, which is really where the bioprinter gets its potential as a platform. You know, we were able to invite other minds that have tremendous amount of knowledge on a specific area to contribute, but giving them that portal is through the software and having them interpret things in a quick fashion is really what the software provides. So, yeah, no, I think it's critical for the field to take to, um, to, uh, to, to scale. Because I remember in 2017, when we first time, when we hosted 3D Heels 2017, I was talking to a well-known professor in a large university about using um, a bioprinter from a well-known company uh, not your company, just a little clear. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he has this really expensive machine sitting in the lab, but no one is using it because it's so complicated. No one knows how to use it. There's no instruction. Um, and it's, it's this opportunity loss to me at the time. I felt like this doesn't make any sense. Why is everyone else can plug in and play and not this incredible machine that could do a lot more with these smart people? So I actually... I think it's, well, the other problem with barrier of creating good software in, in industry that I learned recently um, is actually from another speaker for the software panel, um, Gavin White. He, mm -hmm. he did some work for Prelis. Yeah. He's a game designer. And we were talking about, why don't we start a company just doing software for bioprinting, <laughs> right? Like that sounds like low risk, scalable business. But actually not because there's not a whole lot of people know, you know, know how to bioprint. Uh, the market is relatively limited at the moment. I mean, it really depends on companies like you guys who have already everything lined up to develop that and users and applications at the same time. 
Yeah, I think, well, I think in, in terms of that, it's in, and, and the industry in general, you know, and, and okay, this company, it's the bioprinting industry is, is becoming even more diverse in terms of the way, in terms of the technologies that are used. And so there's laser, there's um, two photon, there's, uh, there's SLA, there's extrusion based, there's inkjet based. And so all these have different design potentials. And, and so the software has to be so in tandem with the hardware, at least for now, yeah. because of the fact that you have to understand what's the value of, of the hardware that's going to be achieved by the software and in combination, which, you know, what materials am I going to be using that's going to provide yeah. more value and then I'm going to be able to access it through the software. And so, yeah, that's kind of, I think the standards aren't high enough in terms of, uh, you know, oh, a software for all or a software that's that that can be independentized at least for now because of the fact that they're so in combination with the value that's being provided by the inks or the materials and the reagents and the printers themselves and they're quite uh diverse in terms of technology platforms so yeah well that's why we need to continue to research and develop in this area and you mentioned that publication is one of the elements that you guys track to see you know how successful a company is doing but also how the field is advancing any mentionable publications in your mind in the last 12 months or so? Yeah, there's a publication that we, that we just did a blog on that was really nice. And it spoke a little bit about, um, it was from the University of Sheffield. And I think it was published back in April about mm -hmm. being able to show not only uh, vascularization, but angiogenesis. And I thought, I mean, it's nice. really, really, really cool. Yeah, making blood vessels is a big deal from bioprinters. I mean, absolutely. Not not only in extrusion, but across the board. You know, I think. Yeah. Everyone wants to make a big thick tissue, and so to be able to do that, you need blood vessels, and so. Absolutely. But it's it's very exciting on the, in terms of the progress that's come about, and and not only being able to make them, but how they how these blood vessels interact with the cells that are in the gels. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's just one that comes to the top of mind, but publications yeah. is, is I'd love to get that link from you later on and put it uh, yeah. in the show yeah. notes or something. Yeah. So that people can also read about it. Um, well, we're, we're approaching the end of the interview. So I know you're actually mostly quarantined at home, uh, working remotely. Um, I think earlier on, I saw an article in Crunchbase talking about agility, cloud-based computing, 3D printing are the ones that actually allow some companies to succeed in this pandemic. You want to share with us how your experience with this is right now? I think it's, um, you know, it, quarantine has pros and cons in terms of, I think in general, it's like, it's an, it's a necessity. I mean, it's, it's a, it's something we've had to do out of uh, adaptation. We still have to stay productive, but we have to go on and work remote and working remote has pros and cons. You get more alone time. You get to think more, you get to brainstorm more. You know, I think Newton had, they, they, I read this article yes. Newton had, yeah. I, I don't know, he discovered some sort of theories yes. during the times of the plague. And um, I think it's the same idea here in terms of we are invited to brainstorm more, to think more outside the box uh, in terms of the bioprinting world, I think we're, we're you know, stressed to think about more of the people that are, how do we serve the people that are actually going to the labs, which are the people that are working on, on coronavirus. And so, yeah. you know, we're stressed to do that. But, but at the same time, it's, it's about um, continuing 
this mission, staying productive, but adapting yeah. to the times. And that's all in combination, all happening together. And a great team is still the yeah. thing that makes it successful. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I mean, there are several different kinds of creativity in a, in a pandemic like this, right? One part of the creativity is focused on emergency solution based. And the other side of the creativity is something that's completely unrelated to the ongoing crisis. Like Newton discovered gravity and all those fundamental the reasons why he succeeded in becoming professor so young in his age has nothing to do with the plague, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and I'm very much looking forward to um, all the amazing work that you guys are going to do in the near future. Um, thank you so much, Ricky, for today's interview. And thank I'll you. see you in a couple of days. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for having me, Jenny. It's been great working with you at Reading Heels. <laughs>